Can we uh, not only give our worship team a hand, but can we just take a minute and thank our tech team, everyone back on Pro Presenter, the people making the cameras work, for our people at home, let's just, let's just make some noise for them. I know that uh, normally we start off, uh, or normally the order of service is kind of, we have a few songs and we get into the sermon, but we're going to flip it around a little bit. So we're going to get into the sermon and we're going to have a little bit of time at the end to spend in worship and, and prayer and applying what we're talking about today. So let's, uh, it, it feels only fitting that we, we start off um, the last, uh, last sermon on prayer with prayer. So why don't we pray? God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. I pray that you would speak louder than anything that I have to say. I pray your name would be known, that your presence would fill this place, and that it would overflow into our city, into our community, and our surrounding areas. In your name, amen. I don't know what uh, quarantine has been like for you, especially March through September. I know for my family and I, We've had, you know, highs and lows and everything in between, but the highs have been really uniquely COVID situations. You know, like only, it's only because we're at home 24-7, working from home 24-7 that some things have happened. Uh, Back in April, just as an example, I was getting ready for digital youth group online. And it wasn't uncommon for Henry to walk in and out of the office. And and this time he walked into the office and uh, he squatted right by my feet. And if you have a two-year-old in your life, you know what that squat means, right? <laughs> he was filling his diaper. And so he's working hard on it. I'm like, this is terrible timing. I'm about to have a meeting with my volunteers. We're about to pray. And I look away for a split second, and I turn back, and he had reached into his diaper and pulled out what he was working so hard on to show me. And he was super proud of himself and excited about it. I, I had this, like, sickening reaction. I got kind of nauseous and I picked him up and I tried carrying him without having him touch my computer or me up the stairs. I'm like dry heaving as I'm going up and I put him in the the tub and it's one of those moments that can only happen because of COVID. Only in COVID am I going to be preparing for youth group and my son pulls stuff out of his diaper in front of me. And we had moments like that, you know, just fun, memorable moments that we'll laugh about for years to come. But if I'm being honest with you, for for every one of those fun moments, there were a dozen or more low moments. For me personally, one of those low moments came when my family and I were driving downtown and it had just gotten warm enough to roll the windows down and we have New York license plates for uh, context for this story. And uh, somebody saw those license plates and they yelled out the window in words that I can't exactly share on stage today. Go back to your explicit country. Now that, that hurt, but probably what made it worse was that just a few weeks prior, someone had denied us service at their business because we were American. I can remember in that moment feeling defeated and alone. And I felt worried and anxious about the interactions that would would come and that would follow in the coming days and weeks and months. And and I had this moment of of clarity, like, man, I'm feeling this. How much more is everybody else feeling these, these feelings of anxiety and worry and fear in the face of this pandemic? Anxiety and fear, as a result, have skyrocketed because of this pandemic. The Canadian government did this study And they found out that one in two people at the start of this pandemic said their mental health dropped significantly. One in three people 
ages 18 to 59 are saying that currently they're struggling with moderate to severe levels of anxiety and worry and fear. And it makes sense. 41% of Canadians right now are still unemployed. Anxiety and fear is growing. And, and I think all of us were like, what do we do with this? Like with borders possibly opening and closing, with, with you know, different provinces and regions opening and closing, with the promise of a vaccine coming and going. Like, what do we do with all this worry and this anxiety and this fear? I love the Bible because I, I fully believe the Bible is 100% relevant to our daily lives, even in this pandemic. And I think as we open it and we dig deep into the context, we'll see just how relevant it is today. I want to look at the book of Philippians. And this is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And uh, this is what Paul says about anxiety and worry and fear. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. We'll just pause there. Maybe you're like, yeah, Paul, I'm pretty sure you didn't write this in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> Thank you for your astute wisdom, Paul. Let me just turn off my anxiety like a light switch. It's that easy, right? It's not. But this is where I think the context of Paul's life of this scripture is so important for us to understand because this can seem like a sweeping, insensitive statement if you just read it as it is. But if you dive deeper into the text, you can see rich and profound meaning that applies to today. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Paul is writing this under some pretty worrisome conditions. History tells us that he's writing from house arrest, which I've shared with before in their day, um, basically meant they were chained to a guard 24-7, unable to leave their house, unable to have visitors, or if they were, it was very rare. So th this meant like if Paul wanted to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich, he was chained to a dude who was going to come make a peanut butter jelly sandwich with him. He had to use the bathroom, dude is right there with him. Some of you are like, that sounds a lot like quarantine with my spouse. Paul, Paul is under house arrest, and, and this is bad enough, but he's also anticipating that this house arrest is possibly going to lead to his death. Now look at the broader scope of his life. If we read the other letters, we see Paul is no stranger to fear and anxiety. In fact, 1 Corinthians, he says this, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. Are you getting anxious just reading this? I, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? When we look at the broader 
context of Paul's life of this passage, we begin to see that this message to the Philippian church, do not be anxious about anything. It's not so much about the reality of anxiety or the reality of worry or the reality of fear. It's about our response to it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What has been your response to worry and anxiety, especially in this pandemic? Where have you gone with that? Where have you taken it? There's this phrase that uh, maybe you've heard before, the customer is always right. When I worked in the uh, service industry waiting tables, uh, I used to have a manager that would say, the customer is always right most of the time. And we, uh, we, this played out one time. We had a table come in, three people, and they ordered steaks from Applebee's. It's not a very high-quality steak, just saying. They ordered steaks, and they wanted them cooked medium. And so, I, you know, after about half an hour, I bring out their steaks on their plate, and they're like, no, no, this is way too done. Please take this back. So they send it back, and, and I, no problem. You know, some people have different tastes or different standards. Make them a new steak. This time I bring it out, and they're like, no, it's not done enough. Send it back. So I take those steaks back, throw them on the grill, bring them back out, and they're like, no, too done. At this point, I'm like, is there, is there anything that's going to make this table happy? One more time, bring out the steaks. They're too done. They're not happy. So I go to my manager, and I'm like, they're not, they're not happy with the stakes. They're not going to be happy. And, and we had this conversation, and, and he was like, this is one of those tables, this is one of those group of peoples where it doesn't matter how much you bring to them, they will always send it back. They will always send it back. And so he goes over and he's like, he's like, what seems to be the problem? And they're like, we're going to take our business elsewhere, which is normally when a manager is like, I'll, I'll pay for your meal. Here's some dessert on the house. And he was just like, I think that's a great idea. You, you should go elsewhere. So they did, they, they left. They didn't tip me, kind of salty about that still. <laughs> I brought them like four steaks, I mean, come on. Um, we cleaned their table. And I, I think that a lot of us, we find ourselves in similar situations with anxiety and worry and fear. You know, we keep bringing it to people and places and things, and we keep bringing it and bringing it, but those things, they were not meant to carry the weight of our worry in our anxiety, and they always send it back. How did you respond to worry and anxiety this week? For, for some people, you went to the news, and, and you hoped you'd turn it on and there'd just be some statistics there that would make you feel a little bit better. And I mean, just being honest, who has watched the news lately and been like, I feel great about life. This is awesome. It always sends the anxiety and the fear back. Some people, you, you dealt with it through drinking alcohol or substance abuse. And maybe for a few hours you, you felt like numb and, and you couldn't think about those things and it was gone and void in your head. But as soon as that buzz wore off, that fear and anxiety came back. Some people here used pornography and sex cope. And maybe for a minute, maybe for a second, you were able to tune out the worry 
and the fear and the anxiety. But the second you turned off your computer, the second you went home, it always came back. Being honest with you, the way I cope with anxiety is by doing stuff, you know? Production, keeping busy, just getting stuff done. But when I stop and I slow down, maybe for for a work day, I, I don't have that in the back of my mind, but the second I slow down, that anxiety and that fear always comes back. Where are you taking your worry and your fear and anxiety? Are you taking it to people and places and things, or are you taking it to the creator of all things? Where are you taking your anxiety. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It's this relentless coming to God time and time again, bringing our worry, bringing our anxiety, bringing our cares to Jesus. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this because Paul didn't just preach it, he lived it. I, I shared all the, the, the stories from 1 Corinthians and, and where he was at as he wrote this letter. But even more than that, one of my favorite passages in, is in Acts chapter 16. And Paul and his friend Silas, they come to this city and they start like just shaking things up. You know, they, they get in there and uh, they, they start condemning the idol worship that's happening in that city. They start baptizing people and it all comes to a head. They meet this woman who's a fortune teller and they cast the spirit out of her and she can't fortune tell anymore. And so the city is in this huge uproar. They beat them half to death and it says they threw them in the inner cell. And what you need to know about the inner cell is the inner cell is not just this nice little padded prison cell at the back of the prison in the city. The inner cell was like the dungeon. It, it was carved out of the foundation of the prison. It was basically a hole. And what would happen in these inner cells is the sewage water from the other prisoners would begin to trickle down the walls. And so at any given time, there were a few feet of sewage water in this inner cell. So Paul and Silas are standing in feet of sewer water, chained to the walls, fearful for their lives. And this is what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas turned on CNN and Fox News. No, it doesn't say that. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In the middle of that dungeon, standing in feet of sewer water, it says Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Their response in one of the most stressful, anxious situations was to go straight to God, the creator of all things. And it says this, the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought, the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to the others in his house. 
I forgot to mention that that city that they were in was the city of Philippi. Years before Paul would write this letter to the Philippians about do not be anxious, he was imprisoned in the dungeon at the very depths of that city, chained to a wall, standing in sewer water. And you look at the context of all Paul's experiences, like, I've been at the very pit of your city. I've been at the very bottom, the lowest point. And in that moment, my response was prayer and worship to God. There are some of you here today who feel like for the past few days, weeks, months, that you've been in that inner cell. You feel like you've just been standing in sewer water, alone in the dark where nobody can see you, chained by shackles of addiction and depression, shame and anxiety and worry. I just feel like there's someone in this room here that needs to hear this, and I, I just want you to hear it so clearly, not from me, but from God. If that's you, you are not alone. You are not alone. Paul and Silas at the very depths of that prison, in the very pit itself, they, they were there, but they didn't stay there. God never left them. He never forsake them. And for us, COVID feels like a pit. It can feel like the lowest of lows, but we won't stay there. Because our response as the people of God will be prayer and worship. Prayer and worship in the face of overwhelming circumstances, in the face of overwhelming situations. And I need to, I need to just give a, a little bit of clarity here. I realize there are people here today who you are struggling with anxiety and worry and fear on a clinical level. I realize that there are people here today who you're like, uh, it's crippling, it's killing me. I can't even, like, walk out the door of my house. I'm, I'm so fearful right now. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. Your response is prayer and worship. But for some here today, it might be seeking professional help. And there is no shame in that. There is no shame in seeking professional help. You know, so many people, we, we like to spend our money on getting bigger biceps and getting that six-pack of abs, and we, we get on the keto diet and all these other diets and fads. We spend all this money and all this time geared towards our physical health, but so often we neglect our spiritual and our emotional and our mental health. There is no shame and seeking professional help. And if that's you today, if you're watching online right now and that's you, and you need to get connected with someone, we want to get you connected. Even if it means you don't leave your house, we will make it happen. If you're here in person, come see one of us on staff. We will find a way to walk alongside of you in that journey. Just because you feel like you're in the inner pit right now doesn't mean you'll stay there. So for us, we're going to spend the next few minutes as the worship team comes up worshiping together. We're going to put this into practice through prayer, through worship, and we're going to do it remembering Paul and Silas. Paul and, we're, we're going to do it believing just like Paul and Silas that when we pray, when we worship, prison doors are opened. When we pray and when we worship, chains are loosened. When we pray and we worship, the very foundations of a city can be shaken and transformed and rattled in Jesus' name. 
Tornwell says it like this, when the church starts praying, strongholds start to break. Prison walls start to fall down. Nothing stays the same when the church starts praying. Imagine what would happen, not just here in this moment, but as we go out, imagine day by day this week when you experienced that intense anxiety, that worry, that fear. If your default is not to go check the news, not to go to some people, person, or place that you thought could placate that feeling, imagine if it was to worship and to pray. As you waited in line for that COVID test that takes five or six hours just to get to the front of the line, imagine what would happen if you worshiped and prayed in that moment. What would we begin to teach the future generation about the way we live our lives, about the way we conduct ourselves? How would that begin to transform? How, how would that shake and rattle the very foundations of the city that we live in? When we pray, prison doors are open. So let's stand together. Let's stand and take some time here in extended worship and prayer. And let's believe that together. That God is going to loosen chains. That God is going to break down prison doors. And that God will never leave us or forsake us. God, I pray for each and every person here today. I pray for every single person watching online right now. I pray first and foremost they would know that they are not alone. And I just pray this verse over them, God, that, that they, would, they would feel um, the sense that you never leave them or forsake them. God, as we pray, as we worship, begin to shape the very foundation of our city, begin to shake it, rattle it, as you call us to higher living. May we be a people of prayer and a people of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.